Welcome to the Love Cars on the Grid podcast, your global motorsport roundup with me, Tiffany Dell and Paul Woodman. Welcome to episode three of Love Cars on the Grid podcast. It's our weekly look at motorsport around the world. It's been a relatively quiet week in terms of motorsport, but I think we could probably fill it all with Extreme alone. There's so much to talk about there. We'll also be catching up with MotoGP action and NASCAR on the dirt. But first, Tiff Nadell, Extreme what do you make of that? Well, well, obviously it didn't really work, let's be completely honest. But it, it's this, you know, Alessandro Agag, you know, the guy that uh, created Formula E, that created Extreme He's got this most amazing sort of positive outlook all the time. He's, he's a hype master and he creates these amazing scenes and build-ups. And, and even after the end of that race, he called it, what was his quote? He called it motorsport gold. <laughs> we're, we're all thinking that didn't really work. But he just keeps the hype machine going and sort of keeps these projects. I mean, even Formula E hasn't really grabbed the public's attention as much as he'd hoped perhaps in the last, what, four or five? How many years now has that been going for? Um, so we had, yeah, the world debut of desert racing, which... Well, there wasn't much racing that I saw. <laughs> there was quite a bit of excitement though, wasn't there? There was some, there was some really fun driving. It was, a, it, it was a fun spectacle, but racing, yeah. I wouldn't really... That's a very loose term because after 20 seconds, the races were done. But of course, it started off with lots of qualifying and lots of yeah. individual... Well, they, had, they had to change that, did they? They got criticised and I was going crazy. Well, where are the split times? Give me split times. But of course, they weren't set up for that because there wasn't ever going to be a time trial. It was going to be racing. So... It's hard to criticise because they had to adapt with what they were going to do, but they must have known about the sand. They said when they tested there, it was another time of the year, and the sand was more humidity, so the sand was heavier. But they must have known that. The local um, guide must have known when you're racing, the sand will be softer and it'll be flying. And So we had to go to the time trials, and then perhaps they benefited publicity-wise from a few incredibly spectacular rollovers. I wow. Mean, you get those buggies sideways and that's the only thing they're going to do is roll. Well, it's catching a rut, isn't it? As soon as you catch yeah. a rut, that's it. Yeah, it's, it's good night, Irene. Yeah. But they, and they were very spectacular. Um, there was also a puncher, Katie Mullings. Of course, she did well, work, that, didn't she? Well, wow. she was the star. I think she came out as the, the star for me of the whole weekend. It was fantastic. Katie in there, you know, concentrating the wheel. The way she handled that car on three wheels, I thought was so impressive. She's driven sort of front wheel drive rally cars. And I thought she'd struggled with that, but the, the natural talent must be there. And she just muscled that car home to the finish line in the time trials and then put up a, a good enough performance, bringing it home, as they kept on saying, which doesn't really get much excitement when you are, yeah, okay, 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 bring it home now. You've got a 30 <laughs> second lead. Um, and then of course, in the, that final race with two of the survivors crashed into each other because then it was the first time the, the both the men didn't start. So it was the first time in this sort of spectacle of a of an angry man chasing down a, a female driver and uh, in the dust being braver than they should have been and running into the back of poor old uh, Claudia Hurtken, who was one of the ones that rolled in the time stages. So lots of drama. Um, Cla Claudia caused a bit of drama, it's fair to say. Katie, going back to Katie Munnings, but 
uh, in the, her, you say about split times, but her split time apparently was better than Timmy Hansen in the finals. So she outdrove him in the final. He was slightly better in the heats apparently, but uh, she had the upper hand in the, uh, in, the, in the final, which shows how good she was. And you're right, she was a star. I'll tell you another star for me was uh, uh, Zonka, uh, Christine Giampola yep. Zonka. I thought she was absolutely brilliant. She was pretty much level the whole time with uh, Ollie Bennett, Oliver Bennett, yeah. uh, the whole time. So that was a very tight battle in terms of male and female. And I, I, you know, I don't care that we're comparing because we are. Because you have W Series and you have women's yeah. races and men's races. They're all together now. So yes, we are going to compare teammates against teammates. That's what you do with Grand Prix. That's what you do with any racing. Because they shot themselves in the foot also with those draconian time penalties. I mean, that... What's all that about? You know, I think in your <laughs> first event, you can keep a few things quiet, maybe, and sort of, OK, boys, you know, you should have been penalised. You're not going to do it this time. It's the first event, we'll keep quiet. But I suppose it's a championship and rules are rules nowadays. But, yeah, I mean, the length of the penalty, I mean, five seconds of fine, you know, five-second penalty for, you know, infringement in the pit box. But, you know, what was it, half minutes and then two and a half 75 minutes? Seconds. Well, it was, I think it was five seconds per five kilometres yeah, per, per, per kilometre over or something. So it ended up being incredibly harsh penalties for, for lots of people. And that's the thing for me that, that I what you want with racing, any racing, whatever it is, snail racing, whatever it is, you want it to be close. And yeah. that was the problem with this. It, well, there, was, there was nothing that really... There was nothing that close. It was spectacular. And it was lovely seeing these buckies jumping through the sand and the yeah. And the but then you see that on Dakar, you know, I mean, you've seen yeah. those scenes. I've already seen off-road vehicles going through those amazing, you know, Saudi scenery in the sand before watching Dakar. So, because the race, it was the charge. The first corner was the only real <laughs> excitement of the whole, apart from people crashing. That is, but uh, maybe corner two. Know, maybe if, I think it's star. You need a rally cross star for the first stint because they were the ones that made the, the bold moves at turn one, and that's what really won the race for you know for for Christopherson, you know, who's a world rally car, rally cross champion. So he was solid. He was solid actually the whole way through. Last week I said Molly Taylor would probably be the best woman, and she turned up on top. So Tiff's Tiff's talk worked there. Oh no, Katie Munnings turned up on top for the for the lady. Oh, yeah, you mean for the winner, the winner with, with Rosberg's team? Was the character, yeah, but Molly was the <laughs> solid woman that didn't really get much attention because she was just driving around with a thirty second lead all the time. But uh, Katie was the drama queen of the of the uh, way. You say drama queen? Drama queen means the opposite, doesn't it? Yeah, really? that's that's quite derogatory, actually. She was amazing, <laughs> as we all know. I tell you, who else was a the queen of drama. There no, we go. Okay. No, no. I, I think you should just quit whilst you're ahead there. But she was amazing. Uh, the, problem is the next event is, is they calling it the ocean event. Talk to me about that, please. Talk to me about that. By the ocean. So although this is we've gone from a desert Grand Prix and the next one in Senegal in about a month's time, it's still a desert by the sea. So I, I don't know quite how they're going to... Well, over this problem of, of dust and, and sand flying in the air. Well, inevitably, in terms of the dust and sand, by the way, for those that didn't see it, um, it, it was amazing that the, the, the different sand that they were on, some was kicking up a massive plume of, of, of dust and, and others weren't too bad. But I'd imagine on the, on the ocean uh, series, there'll be, it'd be a case of bombing down the side of the beach and wet sand sort of sea on one side, mm -hmm. um, I'd imagine. I'll tell you who else... 
beach. You can't make a, a five-mile lap out of No, that's country. true. It needs to be a lap as well, yeah. Um, I'll tell you who else was really good. Cool, he was committed. It reminded me of you somewhat, was Carlos Sainz. Yeah. Uh, wow, wow, that was cool. It just shows you still got it. It, it doesn't matter what age you are. So if you've got it, you've got it. Uh, Jens, Jensen's still learning, I think, off-road driving. He didn't look quite at home, did he, in the, in the sand? But uh, at least he was out there giving it a go, whereas Lewis and uh, Rosberg and Nico hid behind their teams. So at least Jensen was having a crack at it. I was surprised, what, did you think, what, did you, what did you think of the underground bunker? I'm not sure the dark, gloomy sort of mission control really worked for me either. It all looked a bit overly staged, you know. Did you like that? I, I look. It it looked like a a big game. Uh, my son Oliver, who you know, ten years old, uh, he said they looked like giant RC remote remote control cars, and it's true. They did look just like that. And the whole thing, all the graphics, everything was so funky and so modern. But actually, the graphics were quite hard to read on the screen. They were very small, um, but they really everything was done incredibly well. They've obviously spent a, a lot of time, and a lot of money getting it right but the underground bunker I think I think that was a bit gimmicky personally but uh, it was a bit of fun <laughs> the camera work was quite interesting as well because it's so easy as you say it's so easy you can criticize anything anything um, and it would be easy to criticize that but but I'm trying to take a lot of positives because it was yeah there's some exciting stuff and I think it got the caught the imagination of a lot of people online on social media um, but some of the camera work, it was just really frustrating. You literally couldn't see a single car for several seconds. You think, well, where are they? Who's in the lead? What's going and on? That's what, yeah, because all of the moves were at the turn one when Christopherson, these amazing switch on the left and cut across to take the lead. Now, where was the drone? I mean, the obvious the shot you desperately needed was, well, Formula One always has it for turn one, turn two in the replays. You wanted that vertigo right above turn one, then you would have seen that switch out. The poor commentator got it wrong. He thought the Rosberg car or the Hamilton car was leading. So he couldn't believe someone had switched across the back. Um, so yeah, well, that was missing, that the, the drone or helicopter shot. I suppose helicopter would blow up too much sand. Yeah, yeah, there were, there, I did yeah, notice a few... Sand everywhere. Yeah, I noticed a few drones around, but 5.5 five, five five miles, was it? So, so just over 5 miles. The, the, you know, Hard to get incredibly good camera work all the way around, but I would have liked to have seen uh, yeah, on one there was lots of inboards and you could see lots of action. Then on the next one there wasn't. It was just, it was the first one. I think they did an incredibly good job. Are you going to watch it again, Tiff Nadell? Of course, I always watch them all again. I give everyone a second chance. I got criticised on Twitter, you know, but why do you hate Extreme E? I don't. I'm merely commenting as an observer on my thoughts of the first weekend. Of course, one British star that didn't even Jamie. appear was poor old Jamie Chadwick. <laughs> She must have gone out there and done about one lap, I think, didn't she, in, in testing. And that's her entire driving experience of a, of a long time spent out in Saudi Arabia. But I had to feel sorry for her that she never even got to go, really. I know. Imagine going all the way there. What do you think, um, and talk people through it that perhaps didn't see it, but the changeovers as well. So we mentioned the uh, draconian pit time penalties. Um, so... It had to come in. There was this enormous area. I mean, it was just an enormous area that you had to stop, and then you have 45 seconds to ch change drivers, which should be plenty of time. But um, talk us through that a little bit for those that well, maybe yeah, didn't see it. It's sort of over safety culture. I know if they had four cars coming into pit boxes, but I would have put pit boxes further apart. You had your own box. You could come in hard, you know, and skid to a halt and then have your 45 seconds to make sure the driver's belts are on and then accelerate away from your pit box, you know, with a bit of drama. But uh, 
they were being very overly safe, I think, in their pit stops. And again, the commentators, of course, follow the agag hype, don't they? Oh, they, they were just, everything was wonderful. Everything was gorgeous. They made such a fuss about these driver changes. They've been practicing. Look at the seat inserts, you know. We've been doing that at Le Mans for about the last 50 years, you know. It was like they'd invented driver changes and invented seat inserts. And I suppose they, they think they're commentating to a new audience and therefore I suppose they have to. But there was so much over-talking in the commentary box, you know, trying to sort of build everything up, build everything up. And they, I, think, I think people do over-hype a lot of these events. And this was a classic example. They just tried too hard. Uh, to make it exciting instead of you know, letting the letting the pictures be exciting enough. Yeah, but the, but you have to have it's that balance, isn't it? You have to have uh, an enthusiastic commentary team. You have to, otherwise nobody's going. Everyone's going to say the complete opposite. Oh crikey, they were dull, weren't they? So you can ebb and flow. Like Murray Walker yeah. was the was the king of ebbing and flowing. You know, it's a bit quiet when it's you know not going to build up when it really is. Instead of it's it's punch 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 from the word go. You know. And, uh, anyway but I think, yeah we shall see but i think what it did successfully i think it appealed to a lot of people that might not typically like motorsport in general so because <laughs> of the beautiful scenery and a bit of action as you said two spectacular uh, crashes a couple more than two but two yes. big roles um yeah so my son for example is a prime example he really enjoyed watching it because uh, it, it was just something a little bit different so yeah. i i think it was fun i think you're right the the, the, the whole series Wow, he's good at spinning things. We need him to spin some Love Cars podcasts <laughs> because we'd be globally number one in the world overnight from, from, from getting a few thousand uh, listens. But that's another story. But I'm excited to see the next one. Uh, I enjoyed it. Uh, I got a little bit bored at some stages, but uh, uh, extremely re reserved judgment, full judgment for now. Yeah, once once you've got a thirty second lead, the bring it home on the radio, you know that was full. So they're not really racing. Just bring it home, bring it home, you know. Um, and even one of the drivers, at Christopherson, saying, you know, the race is won after the first corner. And um, yeah, a shame. That's what we all realised, and you know, the, the commentators tried to pretend it wasn't, but uh, that was the sad reality of racing in the dirt. Yeah, but I don't see how they're going to solve that problem in the future there's, there's no way you can really solve that problem well less sand tiff i think is the answer <laughs> where are you going to find a desert with less sand it's a desert grand prix that's what they build it up as antarctica largest desert in the world no sand well i think they've got an ice race I mean, that's they, have, the yeah. isn't it? they are going to the antarctica or, or the arctic i don't know which circle yet Haven't anyway from from uh, Extreme E to Motor GP, two wheels, yeah, no. four wheels to two wheels. That was in the desert, it wasn't far away, still out in the Middle <laughs> East, and this time on that ridiculously shaped circuit in Qatar, which they returned to uh, and, and re confused me last week, the Doha Grand Prix. It was you that pointed out that that's the capital of Qatar. I hadn't really realised it's the same circuit two weeks running. Uh, and, and just fantastic entertainment, you know, from, from racing that wasn't racing in, in Extreme E to racing that was just fantastic incredible i mean the lead changes hands so many times and it's just it's just nip and tuck and these guys i can't don't know how they do it it's incredible their whole bodies are leaning over the touching the knee and you know the commentary then you know they're not babbling away like mad and trying to hype it up because they know that you're looking at the excitement and the commentators you know they're just very 
observant, you know, enjoyed. Of course, you've got you know, lovely Susie Perry there opening the show. So the show gets off. She's great brilliant. Because yeah. Susie's there and she's the consummate professional and loves her motorbike racing, comes over so well. Really well produced shows. And yes, um, the sad thing is, you know, we've only got those three British competitors across all three classes, you know, none in the top class. And they had sort of mixed fortunes again. Poor old uh, John McPhee and the Moto G and the Moto 3. You know, qualified seventh and got his way up the front, then got taken out of a really spectacular, nasty looking crash. And it's a young Spaniard, he's had some run ins before, and you ended up kicking him in the groin, I think. And there was a bit of a punch up, and I'm not sure whether John's going to escape some sort of sanction. Um, I mean, motor racing now, if you go and punch a fellow competitor, you, you get like a six month or one year ban. So hopefully, it's that John... adrenaline is really the adrenaline you get, you, everything is so pumped up, and then something happens and you you know blame whoever for what yeah. for, for the crash it's, it's just the adrenaline i'm yeah well, he's yeah. always a very nice guy well for him it was the second weekend in succession you know yeah. he's a leading championship contender you know with a, a genuine shot at the title this year but um you've taken out twice but i mean in the slow-mo the crash and the guy in front falls off in front of him and he hits him and the front wheel locks up and the bike actually hit him on the helmet as he as he went over and it, it's a scary old world. It man. just looked nuts, didn't it? It looked absolutely crazy. Uh, At least in Moto2, we had our winner again, Sam Lowe's. The first, apparently, it's the first time a British rider has won two consecutive second-tier bike Grand Prix since Mike Aylwood in 1966 or something. That's sort. fantastic. Absolutely fantastic. Long may that continue. Yeah, sadly, Jake Dixon, the other British rider of the three we have, who's also Moto2, he, he got taken out as well. He had his best qualifying fifth, so... We had first and fifth of our two Brits in the, in the Moto2 field, but, and one came out as the winner again, so that was great. And then MotoGP, and just another stunning Grand Prix. Uh, Constructors' Championship, who's going to win that? Are you uh, any, well, any top, I don't care tips, top tips? I don't care. But the, <laughs> the interesting thing in the, in the MotoGP, it was Ducati's again. It's a real power circuit with that long, long straight. Uh, but it was the privateer Primac Ducatis that were running first and second early on. Uh, with a Moto2 guy, Martin, in, in the lead and uh, Zarco second. But again, it was the, the, the Yamahas and the Suzukis not using the tyres as much as Ducati did, slowly working their way up through the field. Uh, and this time it was the sort of teammates of last week's heroes that came through. Because, of course, it was... Um, I've lost his name now. Quattaro, <laughs> Quattaro, the French kid, with a name I can never pronounce, Quattaro, Fabio. Quattaro in Quattaro. Who uh, the Frenchman who won won this time on on the uh, on the Yamahas and it was Rins with the Suzuki guy was near with the Suzuki guy last week so really good cat and mouse stuff with the opposition coming through the field to chase the powerful Ducatis that sort of wore out their tyres more but great Excellent. great racing Fantastic. it is good racing it's proper racing more uh, MotoGP we look forward to uh, more MotoGP and from the desert dirt to some very unusual nascar dirt wow that was <laughs> it worked that was motorsport old mr agag that was you know they did have visibility problems at times when it got too dry but of course at nascar they go out and water it down and um, yep. they're used to racing on dirt because all they're called a mile tracks the midgets and of course the sand with 40 cars compact seal it almost looks like tarmac after about you know half an hour because it's got the rubber laid down on top of the, the sand they have the the cushion, as they call it, the bit of extra sand at the edge of the track. And it was just entertainment all the way through. And Joey Logano came, Joey Lowe, right? And 
funny enough, my hit are the Needle team. You have to follow someone in NASCAR. You have to be a <laughs> fan of a car. We're, we're a number five fan. And uh, you know, he was taking it. was Christopher Bell, wasn't it, who took out our Kyle Larson. And Christopher Bell is the guy with Kyle Larson who races a lot in midgets. And these NASCAR boys, they've got 36 rounds, but they still go off midweek and race their midgets or dirt ovals. And uh, Christopher Bell was the one that spun in front of, of Larson, and they were probably the two favourites to win on the dirt. So it's uh, it, was, it was just great entertainment. I, I am a NASCAR fan, and people, the old thing, it only turn left, you know. But I've driven a NASCAR around Charlotte at 175 miles an hour for, for a Top Gear story. And believe you me, it's not just turning left. I mean, Dario Franchitti was one of the few drivers that, that tried it for a year, having raced an IndyCar, and he just hated it. He didn't enjoy it. So he said, going around Daytona, which is in full throttle half the time, you're spending more time turning right onto opposite lock, whereas everyone thinks you're just turning left as they try to simplify NASCAR. It's an incredible skill, and um, you know, watch it. Watch it this weekend if you've got Sky. Well, I've got the name of the race that's coming up this weekend. This is a part of NASCAR. It's the Blue Emu Maximum Pain Relief 500. <laughs> that's the sort of race name you need. I love America. There's money. <laughs> you've got money, and you can uh, call it whatever you want. Yeah. <laughs> Martinsville this weekend, but uh, it was great entertainment, and you know, give it a try, NASCAR. Follow a car, get a name, look at the characters. You know, so if you've got the times 12, times 30, if it gets a bit boring, if they have a long pace car period, you know, just watch it. But every Sunday night, almost every Sunday night throughout the summer, there'll be NASCAR. I'm not surprised with 36. Do you say 36, 36 meetings of the year? Yeah. That's a lot. That's a, it's, it's quite an entertaining sport. Um, how close they get, how fast they get go, it's nuts. <laughs> but you don't notice it, do you, when you're driving? And um, I did hear a rumour that somebody was driving a bit closer to home uh, this weekend in a yes, McLaren. It wasn't just MotoGP that was happening, yeah. or Extreme E. Um, yes, Mr. Needell was out. and uh, Well done, congratulations. I have to confess, because I'm, I'm not someone that will brag I, I won a world championship when there was only two people in it sort of thing, but uh, there were only actually two people in our class. <laughs> Um, we finished, I forget we're over, we have problems. Why are we even talking about this then? You never told me that. I've got a huge trophy. Um, yes, it was the pre-66 class for sports cars. We were in this 1965 Can-Am McLaren M1B. And I think some of this thing about historic racing, the, the sports car race, it had about six different classes, you know, so can everyone get have a go and... and uh, it's just driving cars like that around Donington. I mean, it's just, it's, it really is a competition where it's, you know, being there is what it's all about rather than actually winning or losing. But it's still competitive. Can, can, can we sort of, we'll, I'll phone you afterwards. I need a few tips for Donnie because I'm going there tomorrow in the Caterham with a, with a, on an RMA track day. So all these, all these supercars whizzing past me. I'm going to be in the little 127 horsepower Caterham Academy car, but I need to get some, this is going to be the first time it's been on track. So, oh goodness. But well done with- The Can-Am car, it's not flat down the hill through Crater Curves. You'll probably be full throttle down Crater Curves, whereas I was definitely lifting. Uh, it was just an epic enjoyment to drive a car like that. Around it. It was nice, no, nice noise, nice sound. Oh, Chevy right behind my ears, V8, you know, just oh, growling away right behind me. And uh, yeah, just balancing on the edge. Absolutely delightful race around there. Fantastic. 
So there was another racing in the world. What well, I'm saying that was the only one. There was this Super Formula, the opening round in Japan, um, and the, this Japanese series. The cars are almost as quick as Grand Prix cars when they have Suzuka races. Didn't you do that back well, in the day? This is the thing. Japan's been this. It's called the waiting room. Um, a lot of Formula One drivers, when they finish Formula Two in Europe, and they, what I do, there's no Grand Prix drive. They pop over to Japan. I mean, Eddie Irvine was a lot in Japan. Jacques Villeneuve. Uh, and even more recently, Pierre Gasly, about three years ago, he finished second in this Super Formula Championship. So it's been this place where Europeans go. I raced Formula 2 there back in the early 80s. Had a couple of fourth places and they paid you money to go out and race against their local hotshots. So they've always wanted Europeans to come and Americans to come over and race in their championships. But it's Group C. They mirror the World Series. There are sports car championships, saloon cars. Um, and the super formula now is the single-seater top formula. But sadly, there are hardly any Europeans or Americans there now. In fact, the only non-Japanese driver was Tatiana Calderon, who's the leading lady in the single-seater world. She's probably the top of the tree for female drivers. Um, she still can't... You know, she had a couple of frustrating years in Formula 2 towards the back. Um, and now in super formula, she finished 13th, I think, out of the 18 drivers. But, you know, she's out there giving it a go. But it's a real tough one. They're very quick, the Japanese boys. And um, it's a great series. It's another worldwide formula that people really don't know about enough. Well, we shall look forward to sharing all those sort of series on, on this uh, podcast. Um, <laughs> I raised and... one happy memory, just to remember my former two days. I was out, one of my favourite photos, I was at a John Player special coloured Rolt Honda Formula 2 car, which just looked stunning. And one of my favourite pictures. Amazing. Uh, is that in, in your book where you can buy from all good retailers? <laughs> yes, there aren't many left now. You have to look for second-hand ones. They're so cherished. <laughs> I still have a second edition, a reprint, maybe. But yes, it is indeed one of the photos. In, in the They're probably propping up doors all over the world at the moment. <laughs> Door stops everywhere. It's a very good book. <laughs> very good book. So we're quite interested in knowing... Uh, so this is going on a podcast. I've, I've forgotten one thing we have to mention. Oh, oh. A Moto3. I forgot. I was so talking about John McPhee. That's great. I'd like to tell tell me more. This 16-year-old kid. <laughs> well, I can't remember. Pedro Acosta, this Spanish kid. He's had two years in this Red Bull rookie series. Amazing series. 30 identical bikes for kids. And he came second two years ago. He won it last year. Promoted to a MotoGP Moto3 team. He came second in his first race a week ago at the Qatar Grand Prix. And this weekend in Doha, which is still Qatar, I know that now. <laughs> he was one of seven riders that went too slow to try and pick up a slipstream in qualifying. You mustn't, you're not allowed to back up and hold people up like they did in Formula One. And so he had to start from the pit lane this time. And he came from the pit lane through the pack of 30 to win his second ever Grand Prix. No. years old. He is, he is the new Rossi or the new Mark, you know, Marquez, Mark Marquez. I mean, it's just... Absolutely stunning. He's got teeth braces, <laughs> a little smart, speaks great English. You know, his dad was a fisherman. I don't know. Wow. Know How did that happen? That's fantastic. You know, he started on bikes when he was three. He won a championship in that, um, you know, mini bikes. He won that when he yeah. was seven years old. But he just came through the pack, level headed, you know, in his interviews afterwards. He wasn't sort of going mental. He was still quite restrained. And, you know, I worked my way through the field, I knew. It's a, an absolute, he will be, Pedro Acosta. 15 years old. I was, I was trying to pop wheelies on my chopper on, <laughs> on, on a pedal bike. I mean, it's just incredible. The, 
the, the, the talent there must be there. So we want to know what else people want to see. You can comment because we're going to put this on YouTube, but it's also a podcast. You can contact us anywhere on social media, Twitter or, or Instagram. And this um, again to talk about as well. Well, this, well coming up, we've got uh, NASCAR, of course. It's back again most weekends. Yeah, NASCAR with the, um, with the Blue Emu Maximum Pain Relief 500 from Martinsville. You took the words right out of my mouth. I was just about to say that. And Formula E is coming back and it's coming to Rome. So beautiful city, Formula E. Got to try and be a bit upbeat about that, Tiff, because um, it's a beautiful city and it's Formula E. Well, I think the, the good thing about the Rome Grand Prix, it, it is one. They always say, you know, we got a city centres. No, you don't. You go to airfields out of town or car parks on industrial states and make up a track. <laughs> but Rome and Paris, I think, is the other one, are genuinely in the city centre. Uh, they've lengthened the circuit. They've put a few more straights in less corners, so it might be a better racing circuit. So this is one of the best Formula E races, hopefully. Um, of course, Sam Bird is running second in the championship, won round two. He's won there two years ago and um, was his teammate also. He won last year's event, didn't he? Um, Mitch Evans. So both Jaguar drivers uh, have won on this circuit before. So it could be a good weekend for Jaguar. Um, the problem, of course, is Formula E. It's got this qualifying system. So the top championship people, which is now Sam Bird, have to go out first uh, in these groups of six, isn't it? Groups of six they go out in um, to try to get into the, the top six to do, do the Super Bowl. Um, and of course, if you go out first, the track's dirty or the weather conditions is different. So that your chances of getting back on the front of the grid are small. And um, it's a sort of handicapping system that means lots of people win races and the championship isn't decided. But it's, it's quite frustrating uh, for the likes of Sam, who, who has to try and get through from the back of the grid, maybe. But frustrating for the, for, the, for the top drivers, but interesting for the series. It keeps yes. it wide open. It's just sort of make people have to overtake what seems to be the new, <laughs> new way it's supposed to be. <laughs> it's to very difficult to overtake in Formula E. And again, that's, that's why I think a lot of people maybe don't enjoy it as much as they, they could or should. But uh, it's, it's have to overtake nowadays without pushing the mates into the wall. I mean, that needs to be sorted for me because last, you know, we saw Lynn, you know, thrown up in the air on the last lap and ended up upside down in the end of the main straight. Lots of crashes, aren't there? There seems to be more yeah. crashes in Formula E. They just put people into the walls and try to overtake because it's relatively slow as a racing driver. You, there's not much danger of injury. Um, so if someone comes up the inside, you, everyone's squeezing the hip. And the bodywork actually encourages these late lunges because they've got these sort of wheel guards. So you can actually come wedging in and just push the other guy out and complete the overtaking pass. But uh, there was a lot of wall banging going on uh, where it was Riyadh, wasn't it? They were out last. So they've got to control some of that. I think also with this, um, you know, you get your extra boost when you drive through a lay-by or something. Um, and you've got a big speed differential down straight, so the guy's got the extra power. Uh, and I think at the end of the race, I think that big crash happened maybe because you know, the, the guy in front was losing power. He was struggling to get the finish line, so he had to back right off. And so you get big speed differentials occasionally that cause these crashes. So it's... Um, but it's always entertaining. People like a bit of wheel banging and concrete wall banging to, to keep the race exciting. So we've got a we've got some interesting stuff coming up for next week, and then the following week, uh, Formula One's back, which uh, which oh, we're both Formula One. Oh, that's not the main event. <laughs> Two weeks' time. There's something called a sprint for Academy Caterhams. Head top of the bill. Formula oh. One is second on our opinion. When we're talking about that in two weeks' time, we're going to be talking about the Love Cars Caterham 
going to the front of the pack. <laughs> I think on that note, I think we're going to end this call, but uh, end this podcast. But uh, thanks for joining us for episode three. Look forward to seeing you next week. And don't forget to come and let us know any comments, any feedback. We uh, would love to hear from you. Tell us where we're wrong. We love it. <laughs> well, you too. <laughs>